right, well, okay. Welcome, everyone, to Aaron and Justin Talk Sequels. Shit, that was terrible. Why did you say that like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's hearing myself. It's screwing me up. You gotta forget it. Just forget it. And you do the intro. I want to hear what intro? you got. Oh, okay. All right. And three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to Aaron and Justin Talk Sequels. I am Aaron. I'm Justin. Today we are talking about Aliens with an S, which is the sequel to the 1979 movie Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. So Aliens is directed by James Cameron, came out in 1986. Yes, that is correct. You know your dates. Good job. I wanted to get it right, right off the top. Yep. Uh, so, Hey, and a really... happy, happy Father's Day to everybody, too. It's Father's yes, Day yes. we're recording this. So in honor of Father's Day, we decided to cover a movie about mothers. Well, I mean, we have the thing between Sigourney and Newt. And then we have the thing between Mama Alien and her babies and her being real mad. And I mean, it's exactly. really just two moms duking it out. And it was Well, the great. whole, yeah, I think the whole movie is about, is about moms. Or it comes down to moms, you could say. Anyway, and, but uh, I think you should do a recap of the first movie so people know what the hell we're talking about. It's true. The, the movie Aliens is based on the 1979, see, I know my dates too, classic Alien. Um, and I have a hard time not thinking about these movies without Star Wars. Um, Alien came out in 79 off of the success of Star Wars and... Ridley Scott takes this story and over and over we see what he thinks Star Wars would be if it was more realistic. Yeah. And so we have just a group of, um, you could call them civilian Imperial agents working on a, what do you, what was that word? I mean, uh, I call them space truckers. I well, think that's... yeah, but I'm... <laughs> They are space truckers, but if we're thinking about it through the Star Wars lens, I see. these guys yeah, just work for the Empire. Yeah, they're, 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 they're just like doing the people that built the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. Okay. These are literally the people the that built the Death Star. The nameless nobodies who are going to die. Yeah, and um, they're on a big mining vessel. And yeah, now what do they mine? It's like it's ore of some kind, right? And, then, and yeah, now they... I imagine it's mined from some planet or or from an asteroid. Did they ever say exactly where they mine it from? They didn't, but it they were the ship was built to mine and then um, process the ore. Yeah, and it kind of did that as they were crossing back and forth through space. They'd pick up some, have it ready when they get back to Earth, and that makes me think of Rogue One. How they were going down and mining the kyber crystals out of that planet just oh, for yeah, their yeah. evil use. And yeah, so Alien, they, they're coming home from stealing this planet's resources because they're evil. And they get woken up by a beacon and they have to go down to a planet to investigate. And what they find is they find a big old alien ship with a big old dead alien inside. And then William Hurt. That's John right. Hurt. <laughs> All right, John Hurt, fine. Uh, John Hurt gets impregnated by an alien parasite. Now, this is something when we talk about it, I don't know if we ever solve the mystery, but 
they're just space truckers, right? I mean, and they get this signal. So is it company policy? Is that the way that uh, Dallas, the um, Tom Skerritt character, is that way he explains it? It's company policy. They have to go check out any SOS signal they get or any signal from any planet. Well, like the <clears throat> ship is driven by a big AI called Mother. Yes. And Mother knows all of the rules of this evil corporation, the Empire. And so it wakes them up because it knows that it must check it out. Yeah. But does it know why it must check it out? Does it already know that the, no. that the xenomorphs are there? No, but later... So, yeah, William Hurt, John Hurt, whoever it is, gets brought back onto the... Yeah, John Hurt, he plays Kane. That's his name. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, it's Kane, the first officer, basically, to Tom Skerritt, the captain. Yep. Um. So they go down to the ship, they find a bunch of eggs, John Hurt is impregnated, he's brought back aboard the ship, and basically he has a baby alien inside of him. Yeah, but they don't know and it until that amazing chestbuster scene. Yes, it has a very famous scene in the movie where John William Hurt, his chest explodes. Just call him Kane. And an alien <laughs> pops out of it, yes. But we don't need to call him Kane anymore because he did, baby. He did. Um, and then the rest of the movie is Tom Skerritt trying to figure out how to survive yeah. until he's killed. Everybody else gets killed, too. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, the chestbuster scene, though, I do want to mention it because you love when I mention how it looks like a... It's an amazing scene, and then when you actually see the alien, it looks like a bloody banana on a stick that somebody shoved up through a fake chest cavity. And I think it and looks I was, horrible. I, think I was it's thinking a great, about you saying that. I know. I think it's a great scene, but I just think that the alien needed a little bit of articulation instead of, uh, to not make it look ridiculous. I think everyone so, in, in movie history is overlooking how bad that creature effect looks, although the scene's amazing. But anyway... I digress. When we get the chestbuster scene in Aliens, it really felt the same. Did you feel like John Cameron was able to do a better job? I think he was. It the chestbuster that we see is when they find uh, one of the um, civilian. I don't know whatever they are on that planet, and she's like in a cocoon, right? And she's like up on the wall, and that's when you see the chest. Is that the one you're talking about? Yep, that's yeah. exactly right. It looks a little it looks better because they they made the little alien they give it more of a it has more of a personality, I thought. It it definitely <laughs> it moved more, you know what I mean? It just gave it a little something extra and it worked. It worked far better. That's what they should have done in Alien, I always think. So, long story short, uh Sigourney Weaver yeah, as Ripley. Ripley, she's the only one to survive uh this terrible thing and she blows the alien out of a Space lock, or Air, what do you call lock. that? Airlock? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we have to mention Ian Holm, the late, great Ian Holm. Yes, and he just died. Yes, uh, as the ship's science officer. And he turns out to be an android, which is not a big deal. There's nothing wrong with androids. We have a lot of android listeners. They're great, great people. <laughs> um, uh, Ash is his uh, Ash. character name. Yeah, Ash. Ash. Ash has gotten a directive from Mother that they must bring the alien back at all costs. Right. Which it's Ripley kind of the, finds out. It's the first... Um, well, I mean, I shouldn't say the first, because it, it's just... it. Because who knew making the film was going to be a franchise? But at that time, 
it was clear he was working on a directive of a heartless company, right? Yep. That's why the crew was expendable and they found this new life form and it was bring that back at all costs. But here's the important part again. This is all mother not talking to the evil corporation. She's just programmed by it. See, that's what and, you think, but I don't know. I just feel well, like she speaks to them. Aliens kind of covers that by the fact that once Ripley gets back, they have absolutely no idea what happened. And so well, that's we'll a get good point. into that when we get into aliens. But, um, but, but yeah, Paul Reiser seems to know what happened. Does he until he meets Ripley? I don't think so. No, um, we'll get into that. Yeah, God bless Paul Reiser. Uh, did you do you watch Stranger Things? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I really liked him in Stranger Things. I know, and uh, it took Stranger Things to wipe the uh, kind of lame memory of Mad About You out of my brain, right? I mean, because I mean, was... he was always cool in Aliens, and he did a couple other films, I think. He did a bunch I... in the eighties. He was hot. Right, and then the Mad About You thing, it just turned him into a, you know, sitcom funny guy. So he lost any, I don't know, he, he didn't he didn't stick in my brain as a Sean Astin, like, yeah, he's doing other stuff now, but he was really cool in the 80s, so I kind of just forgot about Paul Reiser God, until he was on Stranger Things again, too. and I was just like, Paul Reiser was an Aliens, man. He gets a pass for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he absolutely gets a pass. Um, so alien, what other details do we want to cover about this movie that are relevant? To well, the Ripley is the only survivor. That's, yeah. um, a good thing. And she goes into hypersleep again at the end of the film thinking, man, I took care of that problem. I'm all by myself, but hopefully I can get home. Cause she's in a, like a, an evacuation shuttle. So she wasn't on the main, the main orange, uh, Nostromo, right? It blew up. Right. So she's um, on the escape pod, and she thinks she's heading toward home. Or, yeah, they. she talked about the frontier being about two weeks away, whatever that was. I don't know if that was the right word, yeah. but they expected a short hypersleep. And as we find out, ho, ho, those, uh, those machines have <laughs> some life on them. Yeah. I, I want a sleep pod that that's de- that dependable. That's amazing. <laughs> It's like um, an old Twilight Zone episode, you know? That's how oh, it, it felt absolutely to me. is. So, the success of Alien, which is huge, um, leads to a sequel. And it takes it takes time. Like, they were immediately the producers, the guys that really. Do you remember their names? Mm. The Brandywine Productions team yes. of Carol, Guiler, and Hill. Just classic classic producers that have been doing stuff forever and i'm pretty sure they're still like we can do star wars better than star wars yeah uh immediately want a sequel there's a bit of a fight now why didn't ridley scott return for a sequel i don't know (laughs) Um, i didn't see that covered anywhere i didn't see it covered either but they may not have even asked but it's probably in some book somewhere um because we know about Ridley Scott's amazing run after this. Yeah. He went um, on to Blade Runner. He went on to Blade Runner and then he went on to other films. So you're telling me Ridley Statue. Scott wanted to do Legend instead of Aliens. 
Although, Don't to be fair, that? whatever the Alien sequel would have been, it would not have been Aliens if he had done it. Because I'm fairly certain that's heavily James Cameron. I mean, that was his idea, right? To do Aliens. I mean, they picked up Cameron in 1983, um, who was in the middle of making Terminator. Yep. And he's like, sure, absolutely. Takes a pass at writing the script. The studio's like, nah, that's going to suck. Um and he keeps working on it while he's making Terminator. And he later goes on and says that parts of Terminator are kind of a dry run to see what he's able to do with aliens. Right. It's hard to look back and think that Terminator is a dry run of anything. I don't but... see anything in Terminator to me that uh, would be like, oh, yeah, that was later reused, I, you know. In I have to admit something. I don't think I've seen Terminator in 20 years are you <laughs> i watch terminator at least once a year that's how much i love that movie really oh yeah i love that movie uh the only thing i will say uh that definitely pops up is lance hendrickson you know so he appears he's one of the cops oh. in terminator if you remember oh yeah yeah well no i did not remember so he of course pops up years. again as bishop yes um and I mean, I think the most important uh, crossover into Aliens is that uh, James Cameron went back to the future and he grabbed Reese, Kyle Reese, to get him to play the role of a lifetime. Yes, with Hicks. That's so funny. I mentioned Lance Henriksen, and and then you, who haven't seen the movie in twenty years, grabs one of the main characters, who also, of course, appears in Aliens, and I didn't even recall that. <laughs> like i immediately saw him and i knew yeah and so i started looking and uh the other big james cameron player in aliens who is it oh, this my is God. my favorite hold on. one hold on oh yeah bill paxton yeah bill paxton of course what did he do in terminator he was a punk at the beginning when arnold schwarzenegger's character first comes back and he's all naked and he's walking through He's one of the, he's got this huge mohawk and he's uh, like, hey, look at this guy. Yeah. And they pull a knife on him and everything. And Schwarzenegger beats the hell out of them all and steals their clothes. Oh. So that's it. Paxson doesn't have a big role. But from that movie on, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he may have been in James Cameron's prior film. I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure that's where he started with Cameron. And then he went on to appear in a number of Cameron films after that. Cameron's one of those guys that really hangs on to the people he likes. Uh, uh, I th so after Aliens, Paxton, was he in anything other than True Lies? Oh, yeah, uh, Titanic, of course. He was the uh, explorer in Titanic. The explorer? Remember? Uh, I've only who, seen Titanic who, once. Okay. Uh, the ex exploration team that goes underwater to find the Titanic, you know, because they're looking for the heart of the ocean or whatever it's called. Oh, Brock Lovett. Yes. Is that his name? <laughs> That's his name. Come on. <laughs> I would love if you just knew that off the top of your head. Oh, yeah, Brock Lovett. You don't forget a name like Brock Lovett. You absolutely Anyway, so he's the one that talks to the old lady, and she's the one that tells him a story about Jack and Rose, right? Oh. So, yeah. So I... that's Bill Paxton's other James Cameron thing. But he's great in True Lies, too. He plays the shitty uh, car salesman that's trying to bang Schwarzenegger's wife. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah. Bill, totally. Bill Paxton. He's he a great guy. A great, 
and for early many years I mixed him up with Bill Pullman, but everybody I, has, know. everybody has, and it, whether they mix them up or not, they always mix up the names. If anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Game um, over, man. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, that's not even the important one. I'm talking about Jeanette Goldstein <laughs> as Private Vasquez, who later She's goes on to appear in Terminator Two. Okay. She's the stepmom. No shit. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Vasquez is the stepmom. And yep, who is unceremoniously uh She's such a badass in Aliens. And she's such a homemaker in uh She's Terminator a little, she's 2. still kind of a she's got an edge to her in, Ter- in Terminator 2 cuz she's all, you know, frayed hair and out of her mind with John's uh juvenile delinquency. I know John really was a handful and oh my God. you know Terminator I hope we will get to someday because I well, swear Terminator I've two seen seems like a obvious one we have to cover right I've seen Terminator 3 more times than Terminator this is and that's a real eye-opener it's absolutely crazy <laughs> and I really like Salvation I I don't know I just like movies I love and Salvation even... and I do not understand the hate it gets I thought it yeah. was a, a, a fine film. I, and I didn't think it was amazing. I just thought it was really good. And I was like, this is a worthy sequel to the franchise. I mean, it's no Terminator 2, but... And what was that next one? And then they did Genesis, where they tried oh. to kind of reboot it within the same universe. Yeah. And that, and that just... Was um, I watched it uh, recently. I hadn't seen it until maybe a couple months ago. And um, it's forgettable, obviously, because I just watched it and didn't really enjoy it that much. And then the newest one, that's all right. I loved it. It's um, fine. I'm a big fan of that actress whose name is escaping me. Linda Hamilton. No. The other girl. <laughs> uh, the other girl. Yeah. Mackenzie. Um, uh, yes, Mackenzie. Is it Phillips? No. I think Mackenzie Phillips. Davis. Was in... Mackenzie Davis. I believe Mackenzie Phillips is um, John Phillips' daughter, who was a musician. She was in, uh, you know, they were. I know the moms and the papas. Looking at a picture of Mackenzie. They were Davis. the moms and the papas. That's who you brought up, Mackenzie Phillips. Anyway, <laughs> she wasn't in the moms and the papas. She's the daughter of one. She's got a crazy story. Let's go into that tangent. No, just kidding. But Mackenzie Davis is one of the most talented and beautiful people i've ever seen in my life and she was in that show on the podcast halt and catch fire did you ever watch that yeah yeah Yeah. i watched first couple episodes but i didn't really get into it it really goes in interesting directions later on people seem fun right because it was all really computer stuff which is nerdy and fun yeah and it stays nerdy like she mackenzie davis starts a gaming company with dial-up internet Anyway, so what, so we're talking about the sequels to True Lies. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> yep, yep. I the, didn't think there was one. I am shocked that there wasn't one, by the way, because James Cameron loves a good sequel. Yeah, and that, I mean, what what was her name? Mia Carrere. How do you say that name? Tia. Tia Tia Carrere something. Carrere. Where did she go? Uh, not too many places after that movie. I feel like. Like, I feel like she got left. I mean, she was huge in Wayne's World and maybe a couple other things. And then True Lies was probably one of the last times I remember really seeing her prominently in a film. 
Uh, speaking of the last times you see somebody prominently in a film, <laughs> the actress made by or played playing Newt. Yes. Uh, she immediately quit acting after this movie. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it was any bad feelings about it. I think she just didn't want to be an actress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carrie Hen does a great yeah. job with Newt, and did not bring I, her back for the uh, second sequel, Alien Three to be dead yeah. in a pod but we'll get to that movie yeah we'll get to that and we'll get to that because next uh next episode we're just doing a double feature right alien 3 and then yeah because i don't want to talk about this franchise forever so i figure next episode could be alien 3 and resurrection together because those are two fun movies yeah and if the movie has that's aliens has the quality and content that really deserves an entire episode alien 3 and uh, Alien, it feels like the quality of this franchise goes down with each installment. Well, I have a uh, interesting theory about that. Um, we can yeah. get to in a little bit, but All right. um, maybe we should get back on track and we should just talk about the film, the amazing action sci-fi film Aliens. Which is there another action sci-fi film that you can say is better than Aliens? Hmm. Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot. Think about it. I mean, I don't really think there is. I think there's movies that come close, and maybe there's one that is its equal. But I would say that um, Aliens does everything right as far as, hey, it's the 1980s. We're making a sci-fi movie, and we're making an action movie with Sigourney Weaver as the lead. What are we going to do? And James Cameron knocks it out of the park. He does He does do that. Um, I... I keep thinking about aliens right now, so Predator immediately popped into my head. Yeah, and I mean it's slightly sci-fi, but, but I just feel since they're Earth, since there. they're Earth-based, it never feels like a sci-fi movie to me. It feels more strictly action. He just happens to be an alien, you know. Yeah, yeah fair. Well, I cannot think of one. I will chime in if I think of Please, one later. Yeah. Um, but yes, Aliens, directed by James Cameron direct sequel to the movie alien picks up 57 years later yeah and that's that, a shock to her to find that out yeah, she's been in hyper yeah. for 57 years and as it turns out not much has changed um, no nothing at all except now they wear their collars up on their sports jackets yep it's basically gone from the <laughs> 80s to the 2010s and it, yeah because when um, Paul Reiser first enters, he has that. Is his, are his sleeves pushed up too? I forget, but I know he's got like his collar up on his jacket or some shit. And I'm like, oh, it's the future. So yeah, uh, yes. So yeah, the movie okay. kicks off with Wayland Yutani, the company, and they go and find her space shuttle that left the Nostro or the space evacuation capsule, whatever that left the Nostromo in Alien. She's been in hypersleep. She thinks maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe a month turns out paul reiser tells her 57 years 57 years so she's floored yeah yeah she's just absolutely excited well now we should mention there's a uh, extended version of the film yep uh which is the one i watched yes i've seen both of them that's probably the one i watched most recently uh and i'd seen it before but i I did recall the and i i think sigourney weaver was a little upset that they cut this part out but they cut out the part that she had a daughter and wait that's not in the 
original? No, it's not. It's cut out of the oh. original version. Oh wow, I've watched it so many times that right. I the forgot. the mention of of her daughter's cut out of the original and um or is not in the theatrical version and the uh whole uh storyline with the people living on that planet and and Newt's parents finding the alien and stuff like that that's all cut out of the theatrical part. Right. Now I, I will say to um good effect i think it was a good in my opinion it was a good choice i don't think any of that stuff's i think that stuff's fun for an extended version and it's perfectly fine but it's not needed for the theatrical version and i would say there's no need for her to have a daughter i know why they she had a daughter is because then you go oh now newt's like her surrogate daughter and i see this connection but i don't think that's needed i think you definitely get that connection with her and newt especially when she's fighting the alien queen at the end who's defending her children and that kind of thing. You don't need any of the knowledge that, that Ripley had a daughter originally anyways in order to feel their connection at the end. So that's why I think they made a good choice in cutting it out if they had to. I can see that. Yeah. But in reality, I I enjoy them both. Yeah, so they're perfectly pick fine. Your, pick your version and stick with it. They're both great. The thing that bothered me, I guess, just as a parent is just like, really? She is like going to go mine some ore and be away from her kid for however many, like a year or something, just to be a miner. I'm like right. mother or father, whoever. It seems like if you're going to be away for a year, it better be serving your country or something. You know what I mean? Like something important where you like, you expect that kind of sacrifice, but just to go do a job, of mining metal out of a planet you're gonna miss your child's you know like <laughs> childhood or something it just seemed crazy to me and i think that may have all in my opinion that may have also led into the fact where they were just like ah she doesn't really need a daughter that'd be weird why would she leave her behind that long makes total sense and <laughs> yeah it takes away from ripley as the strong character if she well does it take away that's hard i don't know i don't think it takes away but i don't know yeah no, I just think it's mom. it's it's so well done that when she uh, forms this bond with Newt, that you don't. It doesn't matter what came before, anyways. I think it's pretty genuine. Just watching the theatrical version, you know. That's all. That's all I was trying to say. Yeah. So we're on the space station above Earth, and Ripley is getting reintegrated. Um, and she's hanging out with Paul Reiser, and he's kind of showing her the ropes. Burke. Burke. Yeah. Carter Burke. J. Burke. Well, Carter, working for the evil corporation, uh, has other things in mind with Ripley. Um, but first things first, she goes but in front of a review board, to... Yeah, because they all have questions about what happened. Even though it's been 57 years, it's like there's still this open investigation about what happened, you know? So they're trying to question her about it. Yeah, it'd probably be like Amelia Earhart showing up <laughs> again today. There'd be, right. there'd be an inquiry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm sure they Well, had... also, I mean, she blew up like a billion dollar mining facility too you know so it's kind of like hey i know it's been half a century but we just kind of want to know why you did that. well i don't even think they know that like i'm sure they had a file that said nostromo missing and they just yeah. had never known what happened to one of their giant mining ships um, yeah see my thought is is they know it was destroyed they know it's inoperable they know it wherever and they know she's the only survivor from it uh, they didn't know there was any survivors from it 
Because I think they, they could talk to Mother. Yes. Um, they would know about everything then, man. Well, they're asking her to explain the story and they don't believe it. But I think they... I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I don't... I think that Paul Reiser very clearly knew that those alien creatures were on that moon because he sent uh, Newt's family to go check it out. Well, I think he sends them after that story. Like, we have time pass. And it, that was something, like, that bothered me throughout the first half of this movie. We knew, we didn't know that Paul Reiser's character um, sent those people in a greedy attempt well, to get some that money. That doesn't bother you. I mean, you bother you as in and you think it's a plot hole or bother you as in you were mad it, and you found out. It bothered me as a plot hole. I was like, oh yeah, magically after 57 years, the aliens are just going to pop out now. Like, I was like, that's some crappy writing. I don't know what is going on here. See, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as, what a coincidence, but I was going with it hoping it would be explained and it was that he was the cause of it. He knew it was there, but you may be right in that he knew it was there based on her story. But I think that they already—he already knew. If he already knew, they already would have sent people to get them. That's true. What am I trying to say? I don't know. <laughs> like fifty-seven. Okay, so years she tells ago. this crazy story, and they don't want to hear it. Yeah, you know, or they don't want to believe it, or whatever. And Paul Reiser, Miss Burke, Burke. Burke is the only one that believes but her. But he does believe her. Burke does believe her. Yeah. And then or he's he believes her enough to think like I wonder if there's some cuz he's he's another you know he's like um I'm trying to think of their names from Alien. Uh he's like uh he's like Ian Holm. Parker. Parker. And Hold on. Harry Dean Stanton's character, Brett. He's like Parker and Brett, who are all about the money. You know? They're like, they have this plan. We want more money for this mining expedition. These are the two characters in the original film. Uh, And that's Carter's drive as well. Oh, yeah. He's all about the money. He wants to make a big discovery. He wants to be rich. He wants to uh, make a name for himself and make a lot of money. So I think that's why he takes a chance on... Uh, Ripley's story and you're probably right and then from that crazy story he's like well if she's right this could be an amazing find and that's why he sends the colonists out do you know who he reminds me of he reminds me of uh, Newman's character in Jurassic Park just yeah just this a little bit sweaty guy that wants to be rich and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get there oh yep Newman that's another series that we should totally cover in the future. But Newman was like an idiot, you know what I mean? Like he was the he was the patsy, I guess, for this company. Whereas Burke's kind of all he's kind of everything in, in, uh, on his own. Yeah, he may be a patsy, but at the same time he's the one that also is kind of the brains behind it. Yeah, he's totally playing it on his own. So anyway, right. um bunch of colonists on the original planet from the original movie LV426 uh just suddenly stop communicating. And Burke lets Ripley know, and he's basically launching a mission to yeah, go Marines. with Marines to go and figure out what happened. Uh, big question here. So, does this company own the Marines? 
Dad, I don't know. Like they that is weird. They own the space or they own the settlement on LV426. This company is so huge that they can just call up the Marines and say, hey, you guys got to come with us. I think in this future, uh, the corporation itself is like the government. It it almost is. It's like an evil empire almost. Like they have their own military and their own police force. So if Ridley Scott's take on Star Wars from Alien was this is what space would actually be like, him just making it grounded in reality... What James Cameron did was, this is my version of Star Wars, where they wouldn't be stupid stormtroopers, they would be marines, and they would act like soldiers that we recognize. And so, again, we have this great humanizing of the Star Wars experience by, yeah, it's absolutely, they're just stormtroopers, man. It's all they are. Pretty much. I can see that. Um, But, so there's that. There's a couple other things we discover from this. Uh, They have the American flag on their uniforms. So in this future, they're still in America. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know. So they're still different countries. And uh, Bill Paxton is kind of racist to Vasquez. Yep. Um, What was... It's the 80s casual racism and casual misogyny that was pretty apparent or pretty rife throughout a lot of scripts, played for laughs. You know, I don't think anybody was necessarily. Uh... Yeah, I... I don't think they were mean about it. You know what I mean? I don't think they were evil about it. I just think it was literally played for laughs, just like everything else. Well, no, and but if... frankly, it wouldn't be acceptable nowadays. But it's pretty common in the the movies from the past. In this future, though, James Cameron is so bleak. He's like. There's still going to be countries that the corporations are going to steal all the money that they can. And there's totally still going to be racism. Like it's a very dreary form of the future. Well, it's hard to see beyond. I mean, I think unless you're a uh, like one of the classic sci-fi writers like Bradbury or Isaac Asimov, you know, the guys that really had a scientific brain, uh, they could see a future that would be more based in reality and, and based in fact. And, and you know, you, they see how positive things would turn out. But if you have a great storyteller like James Cameron, that's just, it's hard to see beyond your generation, I think. When you're in the 1980s and you want to make a future movie and you're a film director and you're a storyteller like James Cameron, I think it's hard to see beyond the negative of the Reagan era. You know what I mean? Like, you'll see a future, but you're only going to see a future built on what you on the present you're living in now that's the way i see about it that's why a lot of future movies by a lot of these filmmakers are kind of bleak i just don't think they have that gene roddenberry kind of you know vision of the future where everything's peaceful i like that man um where was i going with that i completely forget oh they were bleak yeah um so they jump on a ship with a bunch of stormtroopers and they're going... Yeah, because Ripley wasn't interested in it. She kind of just got a normal job, right? She went back to working on the Death Star, you could say, Yeah, right? Yeah. Front loaders, whatever, whatever thing, body loaders, whatever they call them. Um, foreshadowing, you know, her use of those big machines later. Does that count as but, a trope? Because uh, that's a trope that's so used now, but I don't... what. You know, like, oh, look, I'm going to show her using this forklift now so that when she uses it later, it's going to be amazing. 
Yeah, I don't know if foreshadowing is a trope. I would, I would just call it foreshadowing. But I mean, we don't even need it's that. A, it's a cliche, like, I guess, you know? That's like saying that you have to show Rey getting trained before she uses the Force. Otherwise, how does she yeah. use the Force? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's just this... Uh, you want to bring the, the audience along on the journey with you, so I guess you feel like you need to throw some things out there just so they can have that experience like oh right i don't know i think you know what when you see that image at the end of the door of the the music ceases and the door opens and she's in that full body uh, forklift thing i think it's a more amazing of an image and more of a badass image because it was already briefly seen in the beginning of the movie i don't think it would have as much power if it just appeared out of nowhere. So I do think that's the importance of foreshadowing. Sure. Whatever. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I want to talk about these Marines more. So they're on the ship and we're getting to know the Marines. Right. And again, we have, well, I just wanted to, I just wanted to fill in a little info that she, that Burke is really trying to get her to go, but she's not interested. Why would she want to go back? She's not going to this. She's not dealing with this, these aliens anymore. Her life's moved on, blah, 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 blah. But she keeps having nightmares about it. And she, she, I think Ripley feels that she can't move beyond it unless she faces it head on. Yeah. You know, it's something in her that... She, so anyway, so she calls up Burke and says, like, all right, I'm in. But, you know, how are we going to do this? We got to do this right. So Burke, like, kind of reassures her, like, look, it's a military operation. We got all these Marines. You'll be safe. You'll be fine. And uh, the uh, commander... Uh, it's like his first or second mission. Gorman. Or so Gorman. So he seems like he knows what he's doing, but obviously we'll find out he's not really up for the task. I really like his arc, by the way. Yeah. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, so the Marines. Yeah. Gorman's in charge. He's the Lieutenant. Uh, Al Matthews is the next in line with Sergeant Apone. And yeah, he's, Apone. he's the cliched, uh, tough grizzled has a uh cigar in his mouth at all times uh army right officer. carl carl weathers wasn't available i guess so <laughs> yep that's exactly <laughs> they got right. this guy they got this guy's the, his twin to appear in this one uh we we've obviously got bill paxton as the comedic relief hudson and then yeah, Paxton's a comedic relief, but he's also, uh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. He's almost like this, he becomes the, the guy you worry about the most too, you know? Like, you're just waiting for something bad to happen to him because he's complaining the most. And you you <laughs> want him to die, but you also want him to be okay. See, like, I don't want him to kid. die. I didn't feel like I wanted him to die. I just knew that he was going to. And I was just like, man, like, where's this? The suspense is killing me with this guy. Like, when is he going to get taken out? Um, and I just need to say it again. Kyle Reese as Hicks. Uh, yep. Michael Bean. Um, when James Cameron started making this movie, I imagine him saying, we're going to make Stormtroopers real, number one. And we're going to make sigourney weaver wanna fuck because the second hicks gets eyes on her he is sweaty as sweaty can be like <laughs> i love the chemistry between the two of them and they really 
make it real without making it what's the word overwritten or just what we've seen over and over like they flirt they're flirty yeah they don't seal the deal but you could imagine they could oh that's the she wanted to make sure he was tucked away safe at the end of this movie with in that sleep pad right yeah and you could see it in her face in alien 3 like oh i blew it she's a woman (laughs) he's a man this is what happens in space yeah yeah um what else to mention about these marines Uh, well they're very uh you know in your face uh misogynistic borderline racist you know they're like (laughs) i don't know if cameron has an affinity for the military or complete disdain for them maybe he has both and that's why he pictures them as the he introduces them as the brainless idiots that you want to think soldiers are which makes them expendable i think through the course of the movie he gives you know you learn more about them and you you don't feel that they're just the brainless idiots they're um introduced as but they don't get much better and then they kind of die off anyways. All of the uh, Marines, except for Michael Bean, actually went through basically boot camp. I'm not sure how intense yeah. it was, but they they wanted them to, you know, act the part. Right. And what I really like in this movie is when we have them not in action, we see them as the normal selves. But when we have them go into action, like they actually go to work. And yeah, they only exist really when they're when they're fighting. I feel like that's kind of a character trait is that they don't know the best way to operate, you know, as civilians. They only really know how to fight and do their job. That's a nice take. I like that. Um the th- and I don't know if Cameron was the one who touched on this when he wrote the script or it was the producers that kind of came up with the story, but I I sensed it as well. And they spoke about this, that there's kind of an allusion to the Vietnam War. Uh, I don't know if you read about this as well, but it it definitely stood out to me in that you have these uh, badass people with all of their guns and everything. And they're just like, you know what? We're going to go into this place and we're going to wipe these savages off the map. Nothing can stop us. And then they show up and they're completely outnumbered. And even though they have the advanced technology, it's useless against these fighters, these efficient, deadly killers. You know what I mean? And that was kind of guerrilla warfare in the Vietnam War. And I think that was Cameron's take on it. That's that's kind of how he felt the military was as well. Yep. And this was his kind of Vietnam War take. I read I read that too. Uh yeah and i like that i think that was mostly a cameron thing um (laughs) also this movie proves that if um someone just had a gun on the nostromo the movie wouldn't have been very long at all right because in this movie (laughs) you know what i mean we have you only have an alien yeah singular Uh, if ripley had just had a car she ran she runs one of these things over in a car exactly which but in the movie aliens cameron's like they're like hey what do you want to do for a sequel i got a great idea i'm gonna i'm gonna have more than one alien oh like two no 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 no. like many and we're gonna put an s on the end of the word (laughs) it's gonna be aliens plural yeah so they're just like make that movie in theory how many settlers did they say there were 
It was like 147. It was. I don't know. I just picked that number out. It, you're you're pretty close in my mind. Um, but in theory, we'd have that many aliens. So there were yeah, exactly more than 100, less than 200, ish. Now here's my other question about aliens. Um, and even alien, uh, does the xenomorph only exist because it uh, used an alien as a host, or would the alien look different? If it was another host, it would look. But since a human is the host, does is that why it looks like a xenomorph? Well, the aliens themselves are xenomorphs, and I think that's supposed to mean they. What what is the definition of that? I'm looking it up as we speak, but uh, we later find out that yes, there can be different kinds based on the host. Yeah, because Alien Three, it's a dog, right? Um. So it gives it more of a four-legged approach. But you're right. The head and the whole sleek xenomorphy thing does exist probably no matter the host. Because the queen, right? The queen looks like a xenomorph in my... And I guess that's what I'm imagining. Yeah, that, that thing was just crazy. Um, and I like this take again. Like, they look at Star Wars and they say, Hey, look at all these friendly aliens. And they go back and they say, chances are the aliens are bugs. Just disgusting, intelligent yeah. bugs. And all they want to do is reproduce. And this is the alien that we got. Um, and there's hundreds of them on this settlement. And they're going down there to figure out what happened to these settlers and uh, destroy them if they have to. And what do we get? We get the ship what do we get we get the ship coming to the planet and they land uh on another one of those little vessels like in the first yep. one the big ship comes and there's like a little yeah. reconnaissance military vehicle you know right that comes from the ship and then they land and then they have like another driving thing inside that right yeah they've got a batmobile in there they got a batmobile there you go. um and they go and they check out the station and there's nobody there. Place is deserted. Deserted. Totally. They don't know where they are. Although they have the heat seeking body things or whatever, so they can check movement, so they see that they're all somewhere, but they're not anywhere. Uh did you which which version that did you watch later. for the podcast? Uh well I watched the original um the theatrical version, maybe three weeks ago and then i just watched the extended version maybe a week ago so the biggest thing for me is just that there's a bar there and it just says bar like that was weird that's all i don't i don't remember <laughs> there was a bar and it like a like a restaurant bar like a eating drinking place bar yes yes okay not a pole for people to dance on um um well yeah i mean that makes sense i mean it's a colony right so they gotta have entertainment and places for people to do when they're not working yeah i guess so now what do they do there it's a big fusion reactor yeah. do they what do they explain yeah so was the purpose of the colonists i mean the whole i mean the colonists were just hanging out the big fusion reactor is the entire colony is allows for colonists but also is changing the atmosphere it's so terraforming the planet. Terraforming, Isn't that it? Yes. Gotcha. And they see all of the little 
beacons for all the people in underneath the fusion reactor. Yes. Actually, maybe one of the heat exchanges of the fusion reactor, whatever. Um, but <laughs> it's nice and warm there. So they get in the Batmobile and they go to check it out. And what happens? All dead. All of the residents are just like glued to the wall by the aliens to be used as hosts. And then we get our own chest buster scene where yeah, there's a the better chest buster scene. And um, Ripley and Gorman and Burke are all in the vehicle and they're watching the Marines body cameras and everything and, and listening to their microphones. She gets to witness the scene again. And I think that's great acting on her part. I love that part. I mean, she's a great actress, so I shouldn't say like, Oh, this part's great acting. This is, but I just love that part when she's watching it and she like grabs her own chest and you can tell she's like reliving the nightmare of the Nostromo over again, you know, just watching the new chest buster scene. Yeah. Uh, so she's for her, there's little doubt that they're in trouble now. Like at first she didn't even want to sign on to this movie and James Cameron right. talked her into it, but she gives it her all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, new chest buster scene. They discover the aliens are for real. But, well, they burn it, you know. Yeah, they uh, and I think that and that sets it all. That sets the whole movie off right from there, because they kill the young, and now all of the aliens come out from hiding. Yeah, and it's a giant massacre, which we're just hanging out on the walls, not doing anything to them. Yeah, until then, um, great effect. I love that one. That was, and it all looked practical. I mean, we're talking '86, so. Those aliens were just people running around being scary. And the aliens in here feel like they have a slightly different design than the alien in Alien. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, And I like it. It's a nice little upgrade. Uh, So, yeah, they burn the baby. Aliens come up from everywhere. They're getting their butts kicked. Oh, and we should mention that none of them, well, not very many of them, have ammunition because whoops they're near a fusion reactor so they don't want to blow the place up so they're told get all gather all your ammo up and throw it into this bag (laughs) and this one guy's gonna be in charge of it now i can't imagine that they didn't have a ton of ammo on them so everybody handing one piece of ammo was just kind of ridiculous i thought like well they obviously have extras as you find out most of them do anyways you know yeah because uh, vasquez immediately pulls out a couple of replacements for their giant guns right. that are strapped to their body her and i don't know yeah, the name steady cams of the other guy i don't even know if i caught it <laughs> anyway uh yeah so they get their ass kicked a lot of people die and of course the uh guy with a bag of ammunition uh it, ca- it gets caught fire and explodes so they are down all that ammo as well ripley's the only one that knows it's a fight they can't win and this is when the inexperience of gorman takes over or the inexperience yeah gorman just freezes up and ripley takes the lead she takes the batmobile and she plunges right into the reactor right towards these people yeah, goes and gets them. She's got to save them. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for her taking control, they'd all be dead. Well, so she rescues a couple of them. Yeah. So who do we still have? We have Hicks. 
We mm-hmm. have Vasquez. Bishop. We haven't talked about Bishop. There's another android on this mission. Yes, absolutely. And she finds that out early on. It's not a surprise this time that he's an android. Right, and she just distrusts distrusts androids so much because of Ian right. Holm that she just wants Bishop to stay away. Um, so yeah, Paxton lives. <clears throat> um, Vasquez. So she lives. has her prejudices too, just like any. Yeah. Any person. And. It's not really an arc for Bishop, but because he's an android and he's kind of like just smooth. Right. But Ripley has a nice arc where she goes from not trusting him to trusting him to yeah. really being it's like upset. His, like her best friend at the end. Yeah. Well, I'd say Hicks is probably her best friend, but yeah, Hicks is. Bishop comes in as a close second. Hicks is a little more than best friends, if you know what I mean. Um, so she drives the Batmobile out of there and they're like, all right. Let's just get off this planet and blow up this whole place. Uh, Paul Rudd is, or Paul Reiser. <laughs> I just said Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Paul Reiser is all like, we can't do that. And Hicks is yeah, like, this is a billion dollar installation. It's very expensive. I can't authorize that. Well, with uh, the corporal now dead, Hicks is actually the one in charge. So I think it's his call. Yeah. And in his smoothest voice, he looks at Ripley and says, I think we're going to go into orbit and nuke it. Blow it up from space. Just to be safe. It's the only way to be sure. Oh, my God. And they have that look at each other. <laughs> it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they call the ship down. Hey, come pick us up. No problem. And there's a problem. <sighs> yeah, and, I mean, it makes sense. But, yeah, it's just so convenient that an alien pops up where she landed and takes out the pilot. She crashes while she's fighting. And yep, so now they're screwed, and they're all stuck on the planet. Absolutely screwed. And it's getting dark, as Newt points out. We haven't really talked about Newt being introduced. I was just going to say, did they? this is before or after they find... But this was after they found Newt. Yeah, they so find Newt, Newt is a surviving colonist. Like, the only surviving colonist, or only non-abducted colonist. Yep, and she's... Uh, she's just a young girl who's managed to survive there for, I don't know, weeks? Yeah. Months? And, I mean... Exactly months, just because it took them probably months to get to this planet once they figured out that. I see, right. Yeah. And based on her living quarters, where she's kind of hiding now, it's pretty trash. So it looks like she's been there for months, I would say. Yep. Yep. And she's. Yeah, so new. Adorable. uh, But I already, you know, I mean, Sigourney uh, Ripley wants to, you know, care for her. Yeah, she's the only one who can break through with Newt. And Newt. uh, I mean, Gorman does an awful job of trying to communicate with her. Oh, God. You know, in that, like, interrogation scene. She's just pointless. She's wasting our time. And I'm like, this is not how you talk to a kid, you idiot. She's not going to tell you anything. Like, you, you uh, know that's how he talks to his stepchildren. That's just exactly... Exactly, right? Yeah. You, you catch more flies with honey. That's all I'm saying. Um, But, yeah, they're screwed. They're stuck there. Yeah, Newt's like... There's no way to get off the planet, they, except for Bishop, right? They come out at he's night. up there in the ship as well. Oh, no, Bishop's with them. Um, oh, Bishop is with them. Right. But, yes, and he can radio communicate for another ship. So that's their only plan. So what they have to do is, you know, Newt's like, hey, it's getting dark. We got to go. They come out at night. We have to go take shelter. So they go back to the... Uh, con- yeah, the control center. Yeah. Yeah. And they just hunker down for the night. And the sentries are... I don't remember the sentries from the last time I watched it, but I thought it was a nice touch. Um, Like they put up the weapons. Yeah. 
and yeah, they were just right. automatic guns that detected motion. Yeah, we get yeah, to watch detecting weapons as uh, there's a tunnel from there to the fusion reactor that the aliens are using to navigate, and they set up to in there, and you get to watch the rounds go down and down and down as the aliens approach. And it that thing must have killed hundreds of them or a ton of them. Um, yeah, I would say dozens, maybe. I don't know. Dozens and dozens. Um, yeah, because the they are a savage creature, yet they are smart enough to work together. And, uh, you know, the first aliens that get taken out by those things, probably an accident. But I think they also realize that um, the more that sacrifices themselves, you know, the more uh, ammo will be lost. So I feel like it's almost a kamikaze mission for a lot of them oh yeah i could totally see that like that's that's how i just think bugs would think like they don't care um but they're smart you know it's it's like the majority rules they're they're they sacrifice themselves for the greater good yeah yeah or the queen told them to do it you know whatever whatever (laughs) um and so they're starting to get attacked at the same time we find out that in their first attack they messed up the fusion reactor and it's going to blow. I think what they have four hours. Yeah. Something like that. Now they have a clock. They have a deadline clock. They got to get off or they're all going to be blown up in a giant nuclear explosion. Yeah. And so Bishop, uh, good old Lance Henriksen has to crawl through a tiny tube. Well, I think at this point is when the, uh, face huggers are loose. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Before Bishop crawls so they, away. So they, they hunker down for the night and Newt and Ripley are, uh, they go into their own little area to get some sleep and the face huggers are in there because, you know, the uh, colonists discovered the eggs and took back samples. I think they probably took back samples because they were on people, right? Isn't that how it went? Yep. And they killed the people, yeah. but they got the face huggers off alive before right, eggs. Right. And we find out that Burke has told Bishop to keep the two living samples and we're taking them yes. with us. And we forgot to mention that because Ripley said, look, I'm only going to go on this mission with you if we kill every last one of them. Yeah. And he said, you have my word. And so, But of course, he's a big liar. And Bishop says, uh, and you know, tells Ripley so. Yeah, Ripley knows. And then they go to sleep. And she goes to sleep. Right. With her so gun she confronts him about it. And that's where you find out Riser Burke this whole time was just a money grubbing, wanting to be famous. This first or this discovery wants to be named after him or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, I thought you were smarter than this, Ripley. You know, we can make so much money. <laughs> we just got to bring one of these things back. And she's like, it's impossible. Like, customs is never going to let this thing through. How would you possibly sneak it over? Hmm. Thanks, Burke. Right. So they manage to uh, not get face-hugged by these things, uh, Newt and Ripley. Because Michael uh, Bean away. runs through a bulletproof yeah. glass He's window. like, shoot it out! And then they blow the window and he jumps through. I love that part. Yeah, there's no way that Ripley is getting messed up. Bean is going to be there to save that. Right. Because they've got stuff to do. Yeah. I said Michael so Bean. then they, she knows that it was Burke who let the facehuggers loose to try to sneak. If she, if, they, if he can impregnate one of the, one or both of them, they could sneak them back. Now here's the thing about the Alien franchise, which starting with this movie, 
you're really not sure. It's only used as a convenience whenever they need it to. Um, there's two things. One is the acid blood. It's only a problem and will burn through the hull of a ship when they want it to. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you can just kill these things and their acid isn't really a problem. Or if you kill it closely, the acid will burn you. So that's used to some effect in this movie. Yeah. Right. And I don't understand the inconsistency there. It's probably right. explained so away. So wouldn't the, wouldn't the weapons have just made this enormous acid bath <laughs> worth of dead aliens that would have just, you know, sunk the whole uh, colony into the ground? I mean, that's what it seemed like to me. It's killing all these aliens. Obviously, all their acid is just going to destroy the whole place. But it's not really talked about. Well, like- and then secondly, um, the gestation period of when someone's impregnated to when the alien is birthed is never clear. No. You know? It's always whenever they need it to happen. So, uh, in the first movie, it's a matter of hours, maybe? Yeah. Maybe a day. I don't know, with John Hurt. And then, in this movie, uh, Burke's plan is to impregnate them uh, nine months later. <laughs> It'll be Burke. Well, they'd be in hypersleep. Yeah, they'd But be from frozen. getting them... I guess he he hopes it's more than a few hours, I guess. But you don't really know when it would be. Anyway. Uh, But then we... we, You know, we'll talk about Alien 3 later, but... uh, Alien 3 uses it in in an extreme way, I think. Mm. Which is pretty ridiculous. Because Bill Paxton, he gets his arm melted. But it's not like he loses the arm. That acid should have gone right through his arm in about two seconds. If it's going through iron... Yeah, I mean, unless the Nostromo is made of balsam wood, (laughs) (laughs) it seems like it doesn't stop burning. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, like, literally keeps burning. Then when it hits the floor, goodbye to your floor. Yeah, it took, like, Better go in the basement. Still going into the basement. Yeah. So, you know... But maybe that's a correction from the first movie. Maybe that's what John James Cameron wanted to do. Is just like, it just should be lava. You know what I mean? It just should be some acid that burns, and then I mean it's, it's no more. It's very possible know? that it doesn't do much on organic material, which is why they can uh, have it for blood. But it also is really acidic towards metal. Like most, yes, because they have to store acid somewhere, like in the real world. And I think acids, yeah, I mean, like, in, like it doesn't burn through jugs. glass. And some plastics, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if my Breaking Bad knowledge is correct, and I am sure that it is, there's certain plastics it won't burn through, but metal it can burn through. Uh. <laughs> remember that? Do you remember the, some of the first episodes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only season I ever watched was like the first one. So that's a that's a pretty good show. Yeah, that's what I hear. Um, maybe someday. All right. How, how are we doing here? Oh, yeah. So they're <laughs> they're all running to escape, and the ship is on its way, and they're crawling. Newt, again, saves the day. It leads them through air ducts. Yeah. Um, she knows what's going on. And Bill Paxton has already gotten it. So that's sad. Um, yeah, so he dies. we got Ripley uh, left. We've got Hicks left. Uh, Paul Reiser gets it. Um he opens the door and there's an alien right in his face. Yeah, this pretty much sets off the last uh, marine action sequence, right? Yep. Because um, um, they they get past the facehugger problem. 
Um, they they thought they secured everything, but they're getting movement outside now that the sentry guns aren't an issue for the aliens anymore. And it's a very intense scene. I love it when they're all huddled together and you just have... Uh, uh, what is Bill Paxton's name? Uh, Hudson. 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 You just have Hudson's character saying like, 10 meters, man. 8 meters. And they're like, that's impossible. That's inside the room. I'm reading it right, man. It says it's 5 meters. And Ripley's like, w- w- we looked at everything. The floor. The the doors. And then it occurs to her like, oh, the ceiling. Shit. Oh. And then when Hicks looks up through the ceiling with the flashlight. I love, see, the thing Cameron does amazingly with his films is that he knows exactly when to drop the sound. You know what I mean? To like for that ultimate suspense. So like everything's like do 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 suspenseful music. And then right when the you see the slow um opening of the ceiling tile, it's like silent. And then he just like swing his head pops up and he swings the flashlight around and that's and all these aliens are crawling toward him and shit. Yeah, it's good. I just wanted to talk about that scene because I love that scene so much. So that 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 kicks off the last Marine fight scene. A lot of them get killed there, uh, and that that leads to an, uh, an exciting escape with Ripley and Hicks and Bishop and Newt. Uh, and I believe that's it, right? Because Vasquez and Gorman, who she always hated anyways because he was a useless commander, they have one final embrace where it's just like you're always an asshole, Gorman. Yes. And they hold they hold the uh the grenade and they blow up and and it's such a that great gives... arc for gorman just yeah. because he starts yeah. as a scared little nobody and then at the end he's coming back for the toughest marine and right. and she softens a little too you know like yeah it was great yeah it's not i, I so so that's why I, I think that cameron definitely has uh, a disdain for the military but at the same time i think he loves the manliness of it all you know so he he gives them he 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 shows them as idiots but then he gives them each most the important ones he gives a little bit of a character development so it does make you it does it does work and at the end of their story arcs i don't think there's a director better at strong female characters yeah, I mean, especially since he created Ripley and Linda uh, and uh, Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. It's hard. It's hard to say another director that had two such iconic action here heroines. Yeah. All right. So, the Marines had their final battle. Yep. And Bishop is now like, look, I can crawl through this little thing here, and uh, I have to get to this one place that I can radio control the second evacuation shuttle i'll bring it down here i'll jump in it i'll come pick you guys up deal that's a plan so he takes off to do that yep and well like then it's the marine final battle and then they escape oh he did that before yeah they he started that he's off doing that yeah um okay and then we have the final marine battle and then they crawl through the air ducts to where Bishop is. Yes, and that's is. when Newt is lost. And, yep, uh, Newt gets taken. And Ripley, having a special set of skills, goes to get her back. And quite an affinity for the child now. Yes, yes, seems to like her quite a bit. I think she's like, and... free kid! 
when does uh hicks get injured because hicks get injured and he's kind of i it's out of commission it's right away i don't remember which why the alien popped up and did that because they were basically we're not leaving and then he's like okay and then we see them flying into the reactor yeah because well they find newt gets lost in the air ducts and then they find her but she's under the grating and that's when the uh, another awesome shot of the alien coming out of the water yeah it's pretty sweet yeah that takes newt and they're uh they can't get through the grating fast enough but i feel like he gets injured around that point that sounds anyway bishop has the ship now right so they load into the ship yep she says we're not leaving he's like we're not leaving Yes, that's But it's going to blow in like 27 minutes or something like that. No, he says, um, we've got plenty of time. We've got 27 minutes. Yeah, we've got plenty of time to leave. Yeah. (laughs) And then she's like, but we're not leaving. Okay, well, now we don't have as much time. Uh, So this is is the part of the movie that really, um, like, maybe I saw it originally and then I hadn't seen it for many years, maybe like 15 years or whatever, uh, that I always remember. And it's the part where she is in the elevator going down to the lift, whatever you want to call it. And she's getting ready. And to me, that was one of the most memorable scenes just because of the way it's shot. The action with the lift going down, the music, and the wind. I also love (laughs) the use of wind in films. You know what I mean? Like, And Cameron uses wind through all of this last part of the film. You know? Like, where the wind is just constantly, or whatever it is, you know, it's just this air that's just blowing her hair around, and it's just making everything just have this feel to it that just feels very suspenseful and and uh, scary at the same time, you know? Yeah, this is, like, the most iconic scene of this movie. Um, I wouldn't say the most iconic, but it's an iconic. Well, like, this sequence... I think the most iconic is what I mentioned before, where the door opens up and she's in the suit. Well, yeah, like, that's what I mean. Like, this sequence is, like, the big... But that comes after. That's the next sequence, though. It all. Yeah. Because uh, that's after they get back to the ship. Well, she you know? they first see the queen. So, they she gets in there. Yeah, so she's getting ready. She goes down to find Newt. With it, because she has a tracker on. Yep. Yep. And she gets to the gross alien walls, and she picks up the tracker and it's fallen off a newt and she freaks out. Meanwhile, newt wakes up with an alien egg in front of her screams. Mm-hmm. Ripley blows it to hell, gets newt out of the wall. Another point where sound is used to an amazing effect because she finds the tracker. It's all over, you know, newt's dead. There's no way to find her. And then when she hears that scream is when the music kicks back in and she's just like, there's hope again, you know? And then she goes off and runs and finds her. And you can see it all on Ripley's face. And I, yeah, I love totally. it. I love her in this movie. If you watch... And again, if you didn't know anything about her having a daughter that died, you wouldn't even need... You, you know you didn't need any of it to get her connection with New, I think. Like, you need to watch this movie and then Ghostbusters back to back just to see whether or not she cares <laughs> while she's in Ghostbusters or if it's just a paycheck. <laughs> um 
or Ghostbusters 2. That should be. I think one. Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 is all about working with those guys. I think that's why you do those kind of movies is because you want to work with Dan Aykroyd. You want to work with Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. You want to work with Harold Ramis. Absolutely. And Ivan Reitman. You know what I mean? And Ernie Hudson. Uh, Harold Ramis. Um, so anyway. And uh, Rick Moranis. Holy cow. Yeah. How could you turn down? I mean, you would be able to be in scenes with these people. You're going to want to do that movie. Even even when they were doing Ghostbusters, you knew how, I think she knew how classic these guys were, these comedians, you know? Like, someday these guys are going to be the revered comedians, you know, we'll always remember. So I think she felt lucky to be in that movie. We need to fit those movies in when the new one comes out. Cause... Yeah, I was excited to see that this year, and, and then they, you know, had to push it back to next year. Yeah. I hate it. You know, we were talking about other sequels, um, how you always wanted a uh, Fifth Element sequel. <laughs> and now you feel like that will never happen without Ian Holm. I mean, he really um, was the linchpin of the whole movie. Forget Bruce Willis. Forget Mila Jovovich. Well, he could always... I mean, his his purpose, though, could always be... I mean, he was part of a brotherhood, right? So it could always be, you know, another brotherhood could be part of it you know i mean he's pretty easy to recast i'm not recast his role but to have a new person in it yeah um but uh anyway you know i was thinking about everybody wants sequels everybody wants a goonies sequel and i'm just like what this is gonna be horrible <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, i don't see There's that working. no reason for a goonies sequel to exist it's only fun to see everybody back together i get that but it doesn't mean you should put a whole stamp on it like this is now an official entry into this thing you loved as a kid i just don't think it works so i forever wanted a ghostbusters 3 um i would say until the new millennium because when it turned 2000 it was too late i felt i felt everybody was too old now it wouldn't be the same you know if they had made a ghostbusters 3 in like 95 that would have been great you know what i mean oh yeah Maybe not as good as the first, maybe not as good as the second, but it still would have been pretty good. But anything now with those guys, like legitimately making a number three, um, wouldn't be good. Now, when I heard about Afterlife coming out, it's been so long that now I just kind of, it's perfectly fine. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't need to be a direct sequel. It can just be a fun Ghostbusters movie. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And I gave the female one, a, you know, I mean, if that's what we want to call it, uh, the female version a shot. And um, I just didn't find it that funny. And I found it kind of annoying. Um, yeah. There was some fun parts to it. But overall, it was just a, a, a wasted reboot, I thought. Um, I completely agree. Like, Ghostbusters is almost magic in a bottle. And it takes something amazing right. to make it work again i would say all of the ghostbusters were funny in their own right but clearly bill murray was the comic relief right well i think well yeah they i mean yeah so this new movie with the girls they were all the comic relief <laughs> and i'm like that's not how you make a movie with a team that like is... everybody can't be the comic relief it wasn't that was immediately why it wasn't working for me that's an interesting point, yeah, because... It was just all improv, is what it felt like. Everybody was just improving and trying to one-up each other, and it totally lost any of the Ghostbuster feel to it. But anyway, that was just my take on it. Yeah, anyway, so uh, Ripley and Newt find the queen. 
and yeah. uh, they don't like that. And they well, because she's even talked about before. Like, there's all these eggs, and then she's like, "Who's laying these eggs?" And then Bishop's like, "I don't know, something we haven't seen yet." Yeah, and you know, then we see it, and it's so here you go. It's big, bam, and it's, it's got big. some extra arms. It's scary. Yeah. It's very scary, and it's mad. It's smart. And it's like, at this point, it's mom versus mom. Yes. And you know? so Ripley shoots a couple, what, grenades at her? And then they run away. Well, she shoots the uh, flame um, the flamethrower. Flame because the other aliens are going to come in and like tackle her, and she's having this like tete-a-tete, as they call it, right? With the mom, with the queen, saying, like, no, 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 no. Get these guys out of here. This is between you and... And me. Yeah, I love the so the queen queen's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, go on. No, 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 leave us, leave us. This is between me and her. Is basically what the queen's saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then she sees the pods opening, you know, and it's just like she knows she's screwed. So Ripley just is like, all right, you want it this way, fine. And then she starts burning everything, and then once the flame runs out and all the ammunition, she starts shooting off grenades and yeah, just making a mess of the place. The queen screaming, and so they get the hell out of there. Yep, they get the hell out of there by jumping in an elevator, and then something happens where the movie goes from an A plus to a A, maybe an A minus. The what? The queen jumps in the elevator, hits the up button. Yeah, and she knows what she's doing. Whistles as she's going up. Uh, how's? I mean, come on, when she breaks off of the egg sack or what it's so gross and yet such a such a good effect oh yeah it was... i think like this queen is so mad she's so determined that whatever gets her to kill ripley is what it's all about so that's why i'm totally okay with anything because she's not an idiot you know she's not just some savage creature she's a smart brain you know she controls the hive so she knows what she's doing she can go up in an elevator that's fine yeah, because Ripley was just as determined to go get Newt back, you know, and we're okay with that. The Queen can be just as determined to have her revenge on Ripley. So that's the way I see it. Uh, the, the ship isn't there when she gets to the loading dock. She thinks that Bishop has screwed her. In reality, uh, Bishop just yeah. The platform was just becoming unstable. He couldn't stay there. Yeah. So Bishop picks him up. They fly away. Right, because that's a, another great moment, you know, where it's just like, close your eyes, baby, because there's nothing they could do. They thought they were screwed. Here comes the alien queen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, dun, 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 here comes the ship. And I think a lot of viewers nowadays, if you haven't seen Aliens and you watch it, I think you have to keep in mind that um, you've seen a lot of these tropes nowadays in other movies. But I I would say in 1986, a lot of these things were probably new and maybe original to this film, you know? So so knowing that the ship would pop up behind her at the last moment is something we all know nowadays. But I don't know if you knew it back in 86. You very well could have. But I think that um, it was probably a great surprise. Like, oh my god, he's here, you know? That was a, that was a Star Wars thing, wasn't it? Well... Sort of. Well, no. Wasn't there a scene where was it Luke was back, or was that in the prequels? I think it was in the prequels, is what you're talking about. But the only thing I can think of close is when he's hanging on the bottom of Cloud City. 
and they go pick him up. But you're along with both him and the Millennium Falcon. If the Millennium Falcon had just appeared below him as a surprise, that would have been the equivalent. There's absolutely a scene where he backs up, he's on a ledge, he sees the ship below him, he jumps off, and then he rises back up and you see him re-enter the frame on top of the ship. You are talking about Back to the Future 2, <laughs> where Marty is going to get shot by Biff on the top of Biff Tower. No, the, the, I have... And he jumps off, and Biff is just like, oh, this idiot just killed himself. And then he, he rises on top of the DeLorean. Well, okay, that's, that's another place about. where it happens. <laughs> um, but I was thinking of a different one. Um, this did not happen in any, any original Star Wars movie that I can think of. I know it for sure happens with Ray in the last one. Well, she doesn't rise up. Yes. But right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyway, um Anyway, my point was ship. I don't know if it was a trope in 86. I think it might have been it may have been pretty unique to this movie or at least around that time period. Yeah, like I think we get a lot of everything we expect from the 70s and 80s and that's a good thing. Right. Uh, and you know from what i read there's i think a lot of people wanted to end it here right like this would be the ending it would be a great ending or is that the alien film i think that was the alien film the alien film they just wanted to end it with her getting on the shuttle yeah but they do the same thing here which is a little uncreative thank you james cameron well this is the part that he understands he's in a franchise and so part of being in a franchise and also doing a successful sequel sequel and bringing the original fans along to the new ones and making new fans out of your new film is also following, not copying, but following some sort of blue blueprint for the first film. So you have to blow and it up. And since there's that, yeah, there's that add-on scene or there's that add-on ending to the first film, I think they were totally like, we need an add-on to this film as well. But if it's badass, then that's fine. People will forgive it, you know? From knowing it's an add-on or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they get back to the main ship. And they all go to bed and everything ends. Happily ever after. The end. And that was Aliens, the 1986... Oh, wait. Are you just skipping ahead? <laughs> no. <laughs> so they get off the ship and they're literally just right. in the hangar bay. And Bishop's right. talking, and he's all happy that he did a good job. Cause Sigourney... He's like, I did good? Yeah. She's like, you did good, little Bishop. And then the queen... And then all of a sudden... <laughs> ah, God! It goes in, everything slows down, and there's milk everywhere. Yep, and Bishop <laughs> has just been torn in half by the queen. That with the ride. tail. Yeah, with her big yeah. tail. So the queen hitched a ride on the landing gear, which, coincidentally, he had some trouble getting back into the show right which was awesome leaving. like yeah that was a good shot so uh yeah nuke goes and hides and ripley's like oh, okay cool it's just mano a mano i gotta take on this alien creature how am i gonna do this so here comes the for the front loaders i don't know what else to call them other than that the body mech loaders exoskeleton front loaders yeah uh callback from the beginning of the movie yeah, total foreshadowing. Here we go. At least at least when they foreshadow things, they use them later on. Or they make good on that wish. You know what I mean? Oh, I hope she fights somebody in that, you said to yourself <laughs> an hour and a half earlier. And you're like, nice. Here it comes. Excellent. I think that's the most iconic scene. Yeah. Because when that opens up and she says, Get away from her, you... You what? 
<laughs> is it just get away from her you bitch get away from her you bitch yeah yeah that's how she said yeah it. yeah it's amazing line yeah because uh sigourney weaver's maybe perfect. one of the top 10 in film history you know what i mean like it's that iconic yeah, I had forgotten about it until I rewatched this, so I don't know. That's weird, but here you go. So they have a knockdown drag out. I mean, what what better way to have a fight with an alien than actually fighting with the alien, which is something they hadn't really been able to do. It's know? funny, yeah. She just she throws fists, and yeah. they just happen to be big steel claw fists. Right. And she uh, she gets smart. and she knows what worked before, so it's like, hey, let's try the airlock thing again. Yep. So she opens up an airlock. She throws the alien into the hole, but oh, what does he do? Or she do. Grabs on. Grabs she on. Do. And Ripley falls in. And she climbs up a ladder. Because airlocks are going to have ladders. And she uh, triggers the airlock. The alien goes flying off into space eventually. And uh, the happy ending. She was really good at uh, putting aliens in space. Now. Yeah. Now, why do you think this movie works as a sequel? Let's wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap this up. This is this should be exactly what everybody looks for when they're trying to make a sequel. It's yeah. taking the universe and building on top of it without necessarily rehashing many elements of the first movie. Like, And that's what Cameron did beautifully, is he expanded this world for us, and we see it, and we see the characters better than when we started i don't yeah and i also think um if you're going to make a sequel uh you need to this is what you need to do you need to add on to the story of the original with a worthy successor with an eye toward ending the story i think that's why aliens works is because i'd argue james cameron added to Ripley's story and ended it appropriately. That was his goal. Yeah, like like yes, Alien happened and that's her story and that could be her end. But if we take her in this direction, this gives her more to do. This is a completely worthy second installment to the first film and we can give her a really uh final final ending, which is completely um uh necessary i guess or worthwhile or whatever you want to say but like that's the eye toward a sequel is that i came up with another story for for her and i can end it really awesome as well so they're like yeah go ahead and do that and i think that's why it works is because it is those two movies a perfect ending that's to the alien film that's a really good point and i like that like there's so many sequels that we're going to cover where there's to be continued or there's cliffhangers or there's things where it's like an obvious draw. Like if we do any horror sequel, there's almost always an obvious draw. Like, Oh, there could be the next movie. Yeah. And that's why a sequel is in itself. Not really often a failure is because they want more out of it than they should. They, they like, well, we might have one after this, so let's not completely end it. You know what I mean? And then you're just like, well, why are we doing it then? Like, you need an ending. Now, it's out of his hands if they want to try to come up with an Alien 3. But as far as he was concerned, this is the end. And that's what James Cameron has done well twice. He did it again with Terminator. You know? 
he gave Terminator 2. He was like, I got another story idea for Terminator. It's going to take it in a new world. It's going to take it. It's going to build on that world. It's going to make it more exciting. And we're going to end it officially at the end of Terminator 2. There's no need for any more. Hey, and then it's out of his hands if they want to do more. But just remember that that's he the way was, he approached it. You know, heavily, heavily involved in that new Terminator. And you could tell. Yes, he was. But but they bring him in. To... He was also uh, brought out during the press junket for Genesis as well. Was he? Talking about how amazing... Yes. Talking about how amazing that film was. And that was how that was a worthy successor to the Terminator franchise. Ugh. Yeah. I don't think he had much to do with it. But they brought him out. They convinced him to come out and promote it. Like, I... That's why I don't give a shit about the Terminator movies after Terminator 2 is because he's kind of full of shit when he talks about how good they are too. Because he says this new one was amazing and everything. Like the I same think way he, he did about Genesis. So involved in this one that he was pissing off the director. Which which one did this one? Was it Shane Black? No, it was um. No, Deadpool. Deadpool. Tim Miller. That's, that's who directed all right. He did Deadpool. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he was saying... I that... don't know. It seemed from everything I read from what Miller was saying, he really enjoyed working with Cameron. Yeah, I... I don't know. I think that after it came out, I think it was um, some shades of gray that he was throwing his way. Um, Possibly. And that he... Anyway, that's my take on a sequel is that everybody... You, you should see a great movie and go like, eh, this doesn't really... doesn't really need another movie. But if you want to do one, it better be different, but yet the same, you know? And then it better have an ending. That's how I think you make a successful sequel. Yeah, a movie with an ending. I like that a lot. Um, Now, what they try to do with Alien 3 is like, no, 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 we have another ending for her. And that's where you get into the trouble area. Yeah, and that's where this franchise really... Same thing with Terminator 3. Starts grinding at the... uh, but I think what they also hope is that when you have a franchise is that, okay, the first two movies are pretty classic. We're going to kind of reboot in a way with this next sequel. And that'll start a new franchise off. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that's what they were kind of hoping with Terminator 3, for instance, is that that would have started a new franchise where it's more about John now. Because like, uh, Sarah's story has ended, so now this one's about John. But that also didn't work. And we'll talk about it more next week, but yeah, the producers who are still at it for all these movies have actually approached Sigourney Weaver with a spec script to continue on the story of Ripley. Yeah, and this thing gets crazy, that story. I can't even begin. But yeah, Weaver was like, yeah, I'm not really there. It doesn't sound good, though. Like <laughs> you know, like I haven't, it sounded interesting to see it, but I just don't think it sounded good at all. I haven't heard like details of the pitch. I just heard that they had approached her yeah so you should read up on it it's pretty interesting but um yeah so aliens ends with uh sigourney weaver and hicks and newt all in cryo hypersleep whatever you and want bishop. to call it and bishop yep he's just in uh, a although he's kind of torn apart but he's an android so he's okay yeah, yeah. um but why does he need to be in cryo sleep she could should have so they're hiding yeah i don't know so they're hiding heading toward earth right yeah isn't that the idea yeah yeah and yeah, it just there you go. Uh, freezes on their face of uh, Newt and Sigourney Weaver's faces in cryosleep, and then they I don't start think it to freeze. They're frozen, ah, then it just dissolves. Ah. Then it just dissolves. Yep, and I Black. went through the credits, and there was no cutscene. Uh, 
showing some surprise revelation. Yeah, right. There's really no reason for anything. Like, it's done. The story is done. Yes. Until next week (laughs) when we cover Alien 3. Yes. uh, So next week we will cover Alien 3 and and, uh, Alien Resurrection. uh, Resurrection, A double feature. Yes. Um, I think we can fit both movies in one podcast. I think that would be a smart... I think we can. I think we'll spend more time on Alien 3 than we will Resurrection, even though I love me some Winona Ryder. I submit that Resurrection's a better film than 3, but only because it's more fun. It may be dumber, though. It's definitely dumber. But (laughs) uh, that's a good note to end on. This is Justin... This is Aaron. Thank you for tuning in yes. to Aaron and Justin talk sequels. Make sure to be sure to check out next week. Oh yeah, check us out next week. But also, uh, we could use some reviews on iTunes, one of the only places where you can review a podcast, and uh, follow us on social media. It's out there. Oh, I was going to put this on a CD and just hand it out to friends. <laughs> do we not? Do we not do that anymore? Um, we can. I just don't want to give it to our friends. I'd rather total strangers listen to us. Oh, okay. But anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye.